afternoon, Debbie. Good afternoon, Debbie. Mr. Shock. Good afternoon. How are you? Perfect timing. One seat over. She beat me. And Wednesday, August 17, 2022, Little Rock Water Reclamation Commission meeting is called to order. Hal Anderson will lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. I work in the maintenance department. I've been employed here for 15 years and uh, love my job. But anyways, uh, I was going to do a safety minute real quick about back to school safety, just in a general thing, you know, just talking about the driving and daily commute, you know, just to plan for extra commute time, take your time to drive safe, to be mindful of the school zones and the speed limit changes, of uh, the crosswalks and where the kids let out and all that. Uh, to be mindful of pedestrians that, that walk their kids to school, that pick them up. Um, also, to, uh, also to be mindful of the law changes of the speed limit, and it is against the law to be on your phone while in the school zone. We looked that up. Also, to be a defensive driver, just to stay uh, patient, to look and think twice before acting, to always wear your seatbelt. And then I, I just kind of reversed it back to a, a child's point from being in school. I, I always think of the, the COVID era and, you know, just to wash and hand, uh, hand sanitize often, you know, and to remind your kids to, to stay uh, at home if they're sick and to uh, always remind them of the golden rule is what I always say to my kids and to be kind because kids are sometimes not always kind, but that's all <laughs> I have. Thank you. Thank you, I'm going to immediately turn this over to Mr. Carroll and let him, uh, let him introduce our guest today. Yes, today, commissioners, we have uh, Mr. Trimming Pearson with us, and he began his career with the utility back in July 1992 at the ripe age of 18 and has been with us since then. So throughout his career, he served in various roles in the collection system maintenance division, starting as a utility worker and through hard work and commitment, made his way to the position of crew leader, where he currently serves on one of our combination cleaning trucks. When thinking about his service to the utility at the time that I have known him, I wondered what is something meaningful that highlights the kind of individual that he is that I could share with you all today. And the answer came very easily. Because Tremaine is an active member of our emergency response crew that provides service to the city of Little Rock 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And in that respect, he is one of our most dependable employees. 
I can think of instances where I personally called him on the weekend, sometimes at night, and as a response to an emergency call that came in from the customer, and his response has always been, yes sir, I will be there. And, he, and there he has been with a smile on his face and done everything he could, and he's the best he could to assist the homeowner. And for that reason, I, I consider myself very privileged to work with him and be able to depend on him when the needs of our customers are on the line. So it is with great pride and joy that I would like to present Trinidad with his 30 year service award. Wow. I want to say that Jermaine has, uh, I guess a number of times has uh, received the uh, Going the Extra Mile Award, uh, and he really enjoyed those, and uh, the residents enjoy him, so. You have more to say? I got to say, about a couple of new projects that we've got going. Good afternoon, commissioners. You guys have got me for several items this afternoon. So I've set up camp here and we're ready to get started. First, we'll start off with our Bush Creek Water Reclamation Facility Digester Flares and Gas Line Improvements Project. This request today will be for a recommendation of award for construction. And as always, we'll run through the background, where we are today and what we foresee for the future of this project. So I wanted to provide a diagram of what exactly our digester flares and gas lines do, and I think this is a great visual. We'll start over at the left with the digester. What I want you to picture is, um, so similar to your stomach digesting food, our digesters take our solids and um, they produce gas. So that residual is, is a digester gas or a methane, and what happens with that methane is it feeds into our cogen, and our generator actually runs our treatment facility. But what happens when that generator is out of service or is being serviced or we run out of gas storage? What happens is we flare that gas off. We flare that excess gas off and when we do that, it turns into carbon dioxide. From an environmental standpoint, flaring is better than venting this gas because it removes the dangerous gases um, with lower harm to the environment. And so I think that that gives a, a pretty good picture. What you see here is our existing gas flares. These flares are original to the treatment plant, so they've been installed and in oper operation since 1981. That's nearly 40 years. With that, these flares have reached the end of their useful life and have become unreliable and difficult to maintain. Just a little background information on this project. Originally, these flares were a part of our fast oils and grease project as ancillary asset renewal items. When we bid that project, it ended up being too costly for us to justify moving forward with. However, as a part of our larger capital projects, oftentimes we include asset renewals in new construction. For the FOG project, we included these items as you see here, the digester flares and gas lines, sludge lines, digester mixing, and curb repairs. 
The flares and gas lines have been identified as our highest priority, so that's what we started with first. So moving into the bidding, we opened bids for this project on August 4th from the Crow Group, as you can see here. That bid was for $1.98 million. And we wanted to show here how that bid compares to the engineer's estimate. As you can see, Crow Group came in $840,000 under the estimated construction cost. Um, we did have three plan holders, so why did we only have one bidder? Um, we reached out to many local and national uh, contracting companies and uh, received uh, the following feedback. Most of that uh, was that the work was highly specialized, also involved highly specialized tools working around the digesters. Um, also, many of the contractors didn't have a local workforce, and so they would have to bring in people um, from elsewhere, and they couldn't justify that as being um, competitive in the bidding market. Um, additionally, the project is not really considered a larger scale construction project. Um, however, Crow has worked with us on several projects before, and we've been pleased with their work on those projects. Additionally, um, they're very familiar with Bush, having had just completed a construction project out there. So we're confident in their abilities to perform this work. At this time, we have no future commission actions, but I'll pause here and answer any questions if you have any. So the, the bid is for just that one um, place for the players, or is this for all of the players? I mean, it's for players only players. one, because we only handle our solids at Bush Creek. Okay. No, but are, are you asking, are there, you saw three players, is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, each, so, this is to replace all the players. Correct, that's Bush correct. Do you, you know, the, the other thing with the players, they really are a safety mechanism yeah. to our system. So, you know, obviously, making sure we have to, we have players that are that are reliable is important. Well, if I can back here, but this is actually increasing the capacity of the players, the, the, the new players, so it, it will allow us for additional, if we have an additional gas production for, for some example. And, you know, anytime you replace something, you look, a little bit beyond today. Uh, am I right on that? Yes, that's correct. That was my next question. Will this improve efficiencies or whatever it is we did at the right project there? And also, timeline for the new players. Is this four, four years for these old ones? Is that anticipation for the new ones last another four years? What do we anticipate mechanical equipment to last? Is it it should three? because of the rarity that we, that we actually try and flare. The beneficial reuse of the gas in the engine generator is always the option we want to go with. So, so these are more of a backup to yeah. that so that we can flare it. And that's why they've lasted for so long. Right. Thank you. Moving on to the request. Wonderful. So our request today, staff is requesting for everyone, uh, Chairwoman McBride, Commissioner. Uh, I also will have three acts today, so I'll be up here for a little while. Uh, this first one is a purchase authorization to replace one pump at our Arch Street pump station. Uh, Arch Street is the main pump station that services our uh, Bush Creek Water Reclamation Facility. It delivers wastewater to that uh, facility. And shown here on the screen is just a map to kind of show you where that pump station is in relation to our Bush Creek Water Reclamation Facility. Uh, the pump station was originally built in 1983, the same year that um, the Bush Creek facility was built, uh, to service the, uh, to, to build up that uh, collection system, uh, construction around it, to be able to service it. 
um, this is a 2022 budgeted capital item. And we'll start with um, what are pumps? What do they do for us? So they are, you know, we are obviously gravity, uh, our system runs on gravity. And when topography goes downhill, uh, that works really well. But uh, as, you, as you know, Little Rock is a very hilly um, city. So when we need to move wastewater uphill or over great distances, we use pumps. And there's various pump facilities around the Little Rock area. Um, Arch Street has a total of five pumps and they were installed in 2010. The pump that we are uh, replacing, it's been rebuilt and it's near the end of its lifespan. So we really, it's, it's really time to replace it. And all pumps must be operational during uh, heavy rain events. Some more background information for you. Arch Street is standardized with one brand of pump. And with that standardization, there is current infrastructure in place that's specifically designed for this pump. And if a different pump were purchased, it would add significant cost to the project because the pump seating and piping would have to be redone. Staying with one brand of pump for the entire pump station will also reduce our inventory hearing costs for critical spare parts that are required to be uh, kept on hand should one of those pumps go down. And the pumps that are currently in place are Fairbanks Morse pump. There's a picture of that on, the, on this slide here on that, of that pump. And the only place that we can buy those from is Instrument Supply. They're the, the single uh, representative in the state of Arkansas of Fairbanks Morris. And with that, I'll pause to see if anyone has any questions. Sorry about the fuel. Garbage fuel. Uh, this is electrical power. Moving on to the request, the staff's requesting the commission to approve the purchase authorization for the replacement of one pump at Arch Street Pump Station for $292,451.09 and to authorize CEO to enter into a contract with Instrument and Supply Inc. No motion. Approved. Any other questions? <coughs> purchase authorization for parts and equipment to rehabilitate two bar screens at Bush Creek and two bar screens at Adamsville water reclamation facilities. So shown here is um, like a front and back picture of the current bar screen equipment, but if you can see that kind of metal grate at the bottom, down in there is a wet well. And what I try to do, this is a, a schematic of a bar screen, so um, if you look about like two thirds down is, is there's a line there and that's what you're seeing above ground. But what you're not seeing in the picture is all of that below ground. There's um, you know, a myriad of moving parts and equipment that are really the workhorse of the bar screen system. This is a 2022 capital budgeted item. And let's start off with what bar screens do for us. Uh, they remove debris from the incoming wastewater and are the utility's first line of defense in removing items like rags and other unsavory things um, that can damage our pumps and equipment. <laughs> so the bar screen at Fish Creek was originally installed in uh, 2005 and the ones at Adams were in 2007. And the core of this equipment 
is still good, but some natural wear and tear has made it necessary to rehabilitate some of the components of the bar screen system, such as the chains, head rollers, bearings, and other critical moving parts. By replacing these parts, we can significantly extend the life of the bar screen system. Another benefit of just replacing the parts is that it's cheaper, which I'll go into in the next slide, and we can get the parts in quicker than if we were to replace the entire bar screen system. And because we need original equipment manufacturer parts uh, to perform the rehab, they have to come from Headworks Incorporated, which is what these original bar screen systems are, is from Headworks Incorporated. So on this slide, it's kind of a, a, a comparison on the top part of the screen shows the cost to rehab the, the parts and equipment, and then the one below it um, is if we were to replace the entire bar screen system. Um, it's probably not a total cost because there'd be labor involved too, I'm sure, in installing the new uh, bar screen. So that's just for equipment only. Um, versus the rehabilitation where our, our uh, employees are performing the, uh, the repairs and, the, and putting the equipment in. Is rehab double the life though? Is it, would it lead to a whole new, we get as much use out of them as we would anyway? We will. Okay. Yeah. Now, th those are the integral, and like you said, the moving parts that are associated with the bar screen. And I'll pause here for any other questions. Okay. So, uh, staff's requesting the commission to approve purchase authorization for rehabilitation of four bar screens at Fish Creek and Adamsfield Water Reclamation Facility for $507,035.03 and to authorize the CEO to enter into a contract with Headworks Incorporated. Headworks only has that one representative. Right, it's from the manufacturer itself. In Arkansas. In Arkansas, in Arkansas. And that's not Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, that's they're, they're, in, the they're in Texas, they're the, they're the manufacturer. <laughs> you have to buy it straight from the manufacturer. Right? Yeah, but it seems like a monopoly when you only got to deal with one vendor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Second, second, that was the second component of the data. There's only one vendor with my Mercy to get this done. So you were going to say something else? Well, the, the first purchase of the pump was through a local rep. This is buying directly from the right. manufacturer themselves. So yeah. Headworks is the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's still, yeah. it's still Headworks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Submitted the, the low bid. 
Um, and I'll pause here for any questions. to approve the recommendation of award for pipe for a total of $170,905.95 and to authorize the CEO to contract with Core Main LP. Person, the bride commissioners, all we have before you this afternoon is a presentation outlining the capital investment and additional personnel needs for the start of an in house pipe bursting crew. There we go. So, we would like to start today with some background information which form the basis for the proposed changes that we are bringing forth today. We will look at those proposed changes next, and after our next stage, we will look at the requests today. So, our trenchless sewer line maintenance contract has consisted mostly of pipe bursting of lines 6 inch to 16 inches in diameter. Those lines have typically been identified for rehab by our collection system maintenance division and communicated to our engineering group who, who administered the contracts. Several benefits to going trenchless, the first one being the reduction of disruption to our customers, which can be tied to open cuts. Also next, the reduction of infiltration and inflow into our system, thereby improving the structural integrity of our sewer lines. And ultimately, we also see a reduction in cost to our utility by saving on street cuts and potential fines. So the last contract was awarded by our commission to Arkansas Cleaning and Television back in December 2018 for the year 2019. And this contract included an option to extend for six years up to 2025. And the 2021 total cost of that contract was nearly $1.5 million. So this year we began renewal discussion with ACMT for the 2022 year, and significant increases were brought up. ACMT unfortunately later declined to renew the contract, and ultimately a contract termination notice was sent to them on May 9th of this year. We brought up the increases, or they brought up the increases? They brought it up. And it was, it was unfortunately increases we, we were not comfortable with. Okay. So this brings up to the proposed changes today, which is the startup of an in-house trenchless crew. And obviously this will require some upfront capital investment to procure the equipment and tools to perform this type of work as a complement, of course, to any future contract work. And this will also require some additional personnel. So the wonderful question that we always ask ourselves around here is why now? And the first reason for why now is that currently we have no option for pipe bursting since the contract was terminated. And there is also a lack of competition that we've seen and the limited number of dealers that we've seen. You are probably familiar with this so often on so many projects, we have one dealer. And that's the case here as well. And over the last five years, 
We've completed 300, the contractor has completed for us 395 work orders to the tune of nearly 100,000 in airfields. But, and this is the big but that justifies, that's one of the justifications for this, is that we still have 85 high priority line segments that are still in need of rehabilitation. And that's a little over 21,000 so digging a bit deeper into the capital investment and personnel needed, of course, we have the pipe bursting machine to the tune of $480,000 and a few other equipment for a total of $540,000. And the benefit here is that we are, we are proposing to purchase this machine from our HGAC cooperative contract, which helps us realize some savings of nearly $30,000 as opposed to buying directly from the manufacturer. We also have um, the additional personnel which we have identified to be a utility worker position that is needed with a salary classification of any grade three and a total compensation of $62,000 per rate as of 2022. So a few reasons also made this proposal timely. And the first one is that our construction and repair crews are capable of performing all the activities ancillary to pipe bursting, from the minimal trenching that is needed to put, to put the equipment in place, to the service lines inspection, rehabilitation, and reinstatement. And we are also very familiar with pipe bursting because this work is currently performed by our crews on smaller scales on four-inch service lines. Another reason that justifies this is the success that we've had with our acoustic inspection program over the last six years. And as you are probably aware, that program allows us to inspect all 1,100 miles of small diameter that we have in our system. And that allows us to put our eyes and identify all those locations where there are end of line and no manholes. So that, that has provided work for our manhole crew over the last six years. But we have recently seen a progressive decrease in that number of work orders. So that, that made it a perfect timing for these three men crew to shift to this new activity or add to their scope of work and, and with the addition of the utility worker making them a four-man crew. So for illustration purposes, here's a picture <coughs> on the left of the pipe bursting machine. And for perspective on the right there to show you what the, the size of the machine, there are two, two operators in, in a trench there work, working on that pipe bursting machine. So these are, these are just a few assumptions that we use when evaluating going into this work. You know, we've estimated based on what we've historically observed the contractor do, about two weeks for each job. We are projecting to complete that backlog of 85 high priority work orders within the next four, four and a half years at a rate of cost of 21 jobs per year. We estimated the material cost to be approximately 20% of project cost. And we use a 10 year depreciation factor in the pipeline. I think I skipped the slide. There we go. <laughs> so this was the fun part, looking, looking at this option. You know, we perform a comparative cost analysis based on the historically observed average of 247 linear feet per rehabber job. And these are on the left, the projected cost that we have for our utility 
in comparison to what we have seen in contracting over the last three years. And obviously, it's, it's important, I like to point out that these costs were not necessarily the main driver in our decision to pursue this, but rather the timing of our contractual challenges and the fact that we know that we are equipped to perform this type of work as well. So also in, in doing some research, we reached out to a few cities in the region and found out that the city of Bryant actually went through this same experience a few years ago. Their last annual contract with ACNT was in 2019, and they went through the upfront capital investment and personnel addition two years ago, and are now performing part of the trench list we have in-house, and this is that by their maintenance crews. And they've obviously reported a very positive experience and are happy with their decision. So this brings me to our next steps, if approved to do so today by our commission. Staff will initiate the procurement process for the equipment. We will thereafter initiate the hiring process for the additional utility worker employee. And we plan to update the commission annually on progress made by our in-house crews on the trenchless capital projects. We do not anticipate any future commission action on this, but we do, however, anticipate that this work will stop if approved to do so by mid to late quarter of 2022, pending equipment procurement and training of our crews. So at this juncture, I'd like to stop and ask if you have any questions. Can I just add that uh, maybe you should have, um, you know, this is a, a major tool in our toolbox, but it may not be all of it. So I just want to make sure we, 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 we say everything we're going to say. Sure, and, and maybe back up. I'm a little bit late on the question, though. I don't, I don't, you don't give them to me ahead of time, so I have to think about them a little bit. <laughs> 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 don't get till I get here. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so in dealing with ACMT, like any other annual contract, we have to renew these contracts every year. And when, when we're, um, when they submit a significant increase to what they had the year before, we just, we just ask them to justify those increases. We know that the world is in the middle of increases, right? And so, but we just can't agree to a whatever percent increase without something. So we, we went through that um, progression with them. Now I think the, uh, the fact that. On recent bids, um, ACNT has seen very few bidders turn out for bids. They basically got to the point to where they didn't feel like they wanted to pursue the continuance of, of justifying their price increase. They just basically said, just rebid it, and we'll bid it. And, and we've done that before, but it helps when you have multiple bidders right. if you're going to rebid it. Right. So that, that started this whole process. Um, but I think the point that Greg is also mentioning, when, when Arkansas Clean Televising was, was in their heyday, um, they were running two crews, um, and they were meeting all of our trenchless needs with two crews. We're only proposing one crew, so it's very likely that um, down the road, we will still need to contract out some of this work. Um, I, through the years, we look at, at contracting out as the best option with us doing some of the work, contracting out some of the work. Very seldom is contracting it all out right or us doing it all in-house right, and this is just what we're what we're doing here as well. So, yeah. I think that's really my fear to get into when you start bringing everything in-house. You know, it's, a, it's a tricky slope because at some point, you will have to contract those things out, and, and, and you're at the mercy. 
And then two, we had when you try to take on too many different things in the house, and it's concerned with whether you have the structure to handle those things uh, properly. So that's I was just 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 going over that, and it's just something that we really want to take on. And, and Commissioner Hightower, um, you know the I prefer that we stick to our core mission, right. our core function, and that we have contractors do the rest. I think it works best that way. Uh, and and as Hal pointed out. You know, in this particular case, based on all the conditions that are going on, we feel that this is probably in our best uh, interest. And, and by the way, within five years, I guarantee you that, that the big machine will have been paid for and so forth. And, and we, can, we can decide whether we still feel that this is a, a good direction ahead, you know, doing part ourselves and part um, having a bid. The nice thing about that is you can tell what the costs are, so it's very easy for us to determine how effective we are in this process. But, 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 in in the long run, I my pre preference is still contractors have a job. We expect them to do their job, and and we have our job to do. So, but it lives, it does live though that you were able to actually uh, reutilize staff that was dependent on other work that we now have work for them as well. Right. That was necessary for the building too. It was almost like a perpetual storm we had this. And plus, it provides us with the ability to respond in case of emergencies. Because what we've seen historically is that when the contractors' crew are tied up somewhere and we have a situation come up, it takes them time to mobilize to those areas. If we have that tool in our toolbox, then we can respond when those situations come up and address them. So I know we said that this was unbudgeted, but that's kind of technical, right? Because we assumed we were going to renew the contract. That one slide he showed that showed the amount that was um, spent on that checklist contract for the year. Last year. year. Um, What's the total what savings? What was the total savings? Didn't have any. Do we have some savings when we did in-house spaces for contractors? Was that what this slide is comparing the? The dollar per yeah, foot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm always cautious when comparing our cost to contractors' cost. Like, first of all, I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but also at the same time, we have. We have overhead costs, like just say me for instance, I'm not in that $145, but, but if this was our own construction company, I'd have to be somewhere, right? And so there's some of our, there's direct overhead and then there's indirect overhead when you're pricing something. We, oftentimes it's hard for us to assign a value for our indirect overhead where the contractor has to. So I think we look at it as to make sure we're, we're in the ballpark, um, but I, I always hesitate to say that we're going to have a tremendous savings over what a contractor can do it for. I think we're showing that we can be comparable, and as Harold pointed out, now we'll have a way to handle emergencies with pipe bursting so that we don't have to open cut everything, which is definitely more expensive. Um, so and, that, and that's comparable for where the contract currently is, that's right? right? Not for that was the contract the before the, that's yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. So there, it could be. That's right. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> I mean, investing half a $500,000 in this, if, if we were spending $1.5 last year, it doesn't seem like, it seems like we would recover that pretty quickly. Actually, yeah. right. no, we will. Yeah. That was the point, yeah. 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 Along with building up, I mean, like what I was saying was the ability to respond in a much quicker fashion. Yeah.
motion we will move to today's consideration and staff is requesting permission to approve the unbudgeted capital improvement project authorization number 922-3200 in the amount of $540,000. Motion? Second. Any other Staff is requesting to approve the purchase authorization for the five bursting machine in the amount of $480,000 and to authorize LRWRA CEO Greg Ramon to enter a contract with Hammerhead Trenches. Staff is requesting permission to approve the addition of one utility worker position, thereby increasing the total number of LRWRA employees from 220 to 221. Okay. So moved. Second. Any other questions? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion passed. Thank you very much, Commissioners. <laughs> Good afternoon. This picture here is uh, Michael Klein, who spoke to us a couple months ago about uh, snakes, I think. Pre-COVID, and when we were in the school schools doing reading programs, not, I'm told it's not a new employee orientation or a safety plan. <laughs> today to talk about June and July and really they're almost carbon copies. The, the performance financially in both of those months is very similar. We'll start with June. We exceeded our revenue budget by $500,000 and I'll uh, talk about what drove that in a minute. We were slightly under uh, budget on our expenses so we continue to build on our, on our cash balance through our financial performance. June revenues, the $500,000 um, variance over budget was driven by two things, strong performance in non-domestic or commercial accounts, as well as we received $300,000 from ADEM on a mitigation grant that I think we talked to the commission about a couple of months ago, an opportunity to do some work that we weren't necessarily planning to do, but there was a grant out there that would cover it, so we did it with your approval. On the expense side, as I said, we were slightly under, um, you know, a few puts and takes. Salaries continue to run under budget simply because we have more vacancies than we planned. Um, benefits run along with salaries, supplies slightly over budget, vehicle expense driven primarily by fuel uh, over budget. That's two years in a row. We just can't hit that gas price number, right? So we'll um, see where we are as we uh, complete the 2023 budget process. Significant July events, really the same thing. We overachieved on revenue by a half a million dollars. We underachieved on expenses by 100,000. So again, as I said, carbon copy months. In July, the revenue was driven uh, solely by our non-domestic commercial uh, business. Just continues to be really strong. We'll see in a minute when we look at the 
the consumption of our system water consumption, it just continues to be really strong on the non-domestic side across the system. And uh, here that is. So, you know, this, this graph used to not look so well a couple years ago, but uh, COVID kind of helped, surprisingly enough, at least on the domestic side. And on the non-domestic side, just, uh, it just seems to have come back stronger than ever. So 12-month rolling average on domestic consumption is up a little over 1%, and our non-domestic consumption is up 6%. So that'll, that'll drive revenues when non-domestic consumption increases the way that it has. Slightly under, as I said, 135,000. We were under budget on our expenses, salaries, and benefits. Uh, well, benefits were over budget. That had to do with capitalization, but salaries were slightly under. Supplies were under, and again, just some puts and takes. Everything's pretty close to budget. So in summary, for the th these are the two months rolled together. We increased our cash balance by almost $3 million in the two months. We ended the, the month of July with $72 million in cash, of which 90% uh, or $63.5 million is in our operating reserves and eight and a half million is in restricted funds. We are well, well over our bond coverage ratio with our cash balance and obviously well over our required nine and a half million dollar uh, operating reserve balance. And our debt, uh, we, we uh, uh, additional borrowings, it's, we didn't have any principal payments so our debt went up by a couple million dollars as well. Our June and July interest expense for the total two months was two million, it continues to run about a million. So we're in good position as we uh, as we uh, enter uh, the, the August and the rest of the year uh, to continue to kind of salt away some cash if we can and prepare for you know what's ahead. Any questions? Okay, thank you. One final item. It is budget season again. In fact, uh, you know today we just completed. You know, all the departments completed their initial view of the 2023 budget. We've rolled those up. We're starting to get some preliminary looks. We scheduled a meeting in the latter part of September for the budget subcommittee, which is where we meet with one member of the commission to go through the detail and budget. Um, at least three of the four of you have served on that in the last four years that are in this room. And this year as a rotation, we're asking that uh, Commissioner Siemens be nominated to serve on the budget committee. And um, so, what's that? Uh, I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> 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 we waited to finish this slide till we watched the card. So, what's that? <laughs>
Um, in terms of my other workload, uh, working on budgets, uh, working on personnel issues, um, easement contracts, those sorts of things. Okay. I have a question. How is it? I remember last year, or maybe that's before COVID, you developed and put out a customer handbook. You developed that up here with the, the, the guide that I made for you, but as far as the whole personal, how has that, since that has become established here in how has it become as far as, you know, the, the creativity there to work and have, having that manual, that reference to have, has it been helpful, is it harmful, any, any feedback on how Are, are we talking like the employee handbook? Yes, employee handbook. Oh gosh, um, well, you know, we transitioned to a digital format, which yeah. is, uh, which I think is very useful. It allows us to amend, <coughs> make it a living document, so it's far more accessible. Um, you know, I, I'm probably a bit biased because HR reports up to me. Right. So I don't know if any of my colleagues want to chime in, but. Um, well, that, that was my question is just because HR does report up to you, just have you know, the, the feedback from, I know it was such a project that you went into to get it out there and establish from something that our employees had to be able to reference and have as a manual. Sure. Do, are we seeing the use of it? Are they, are they commenting and providing feedback? Or? You know, I, I, I know that a number of our, um, well, I don't know that we're having a lot of direct feedback. Um, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, it's certainly being utilized. I know that a number of the directors are walking through the handbook sure. with their um, supervisors to ensure that they are up to speed um, on, on um, the policies. I know Walter's done that. I think Harold's done that. Um, and you know, as policies are updated, um, HR is is uh, you know accessible to for questions, and um, so it is very much a living document and something that is. And the, the only reason I ask that question is because, of course, as you have a workforce that's such a senior workforce, and as we start to have work, work employees that retire, having that manual approach is too great to enforce. It always points to the reference that new employees know they can come in and they can see and read, and then two, it can keep it continues to keep structure of policy in place that if you have a certain culture established, that employee handbook is a living, breathing document. If Greg leaves, you leave, Mike leaves, that handbook is still there. So that's why I was just wondering, you know, based on, I know you did all the work on dudes, just getting feedback, and I'm glad to see that the directors are using it in their conversations and, and one-on-ones with the employees because it's such an important critical piece. Yes, and I will also say, you know, just in, we implemented that right when COVID hit, so yeah. about three years ago, and, and what I have noticed is that the senior team, um, th there is a lot more updating of uh, policies as well as um, creating new policies based on need that um, in the last few years has been in place that I think before when it was just a hardbound copy that sat on the shelf. And so in that regard, I think we're a bit more responsive sure. to um, policy updates and, and, and development than we might have been in the past. <coughs> that I mean that's what I was thinking that we we rarely I can't really remember an instance where we've had an issue about an inconsistent application of policy coming before us 
to resolve. Um, and so I think from that perspective, it's, it's helped because it is much more available to people and it makes it easier to be consistent. say that uh, in the past we've had the uh, Bring Your Child to Work uh, Day and uh, because of COVID that had sort of been put to the side. But what we did instead, we had a joint STEM camp with Central Arkansas Water, uh, North Little Rock Wastewater, and of course our, our group. And we had uh, not only children, but grandchildren of the utility um, that were um, talked about. We talked about watershed, uh, water and wastewater treatment, collection system treatment, uh, it was a two-day camp, and uh, the, it had uh, uh, tours, and it also included lots of hands-on uh, activities, and uh, they just had a blast, and, and, and our staff had a blast uh, uh, doing that as well. Also, uh, this summer, we hosted two uh, the Museum of Discovery Girls in STEM visits. Uh, participants toured our Push Creek Water Reclamation Facility as part of their learning about Water Day and participated in a roundtable discussion uh, with some women, of, with some of the women of water, they had hands-on uh, chemistry lessons, and, and our lab folks just love doing those things. They like to make things, you know. I wouldn't say blow up, but uh, <laughs> they bubble up. That's, that's the one. Uh, but but also what they did is uh, the, each of the students built an Archimedes screw pump uh, uh, with our engineers' help, and I just wanted to say it's the oldest pump in existence. <laughs> Um, and when I looked back to see how, when it started, it said it was the third century BC. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but that's old, all right? <laughs> so anyway, it did that. Um, tomorrow, our very own Gene Block will serve on a panel uh, to cultivate women's business series. And it's sponsored by the Little Rock Chamber of Commerce. As always, Jean is a tremendous representative of our utility as well as she's so engaged in the community, so she'll do a fantastic job, I'm sure. I uh, want to say that uh, the, once again, we have earned the National Association of Clean Water Agencies for the NACWA uh, Platinum Peak Performance Award for our Push Creek and Adams, uh, Adamsfield Water Reclamation Facility. This is an award that's given after you earn the gold award. You have to keep that for five years before the Platinum Award kicks in. And for Push Creek, uh, we, we've had it for seven consecutive years. And for Adamsfield, we've received it for, for 10 consecutive years. The Little Momel Water Reclamation Facility, that is on its fifth year of the gold. So next year, we're expecting to see platinum from that uh, facility as well. Um, also, uh, and I want to thank Walter and his staff for that. They've done a tremendous job running the facilities. Thank you, Walter. I um, want to say that congratulations to our finance department for earning the Distinguished Budget Presentation Award. This is the 11th year in a row, and, and at some point it just seems like, well, we're just doing it again. But the reality is every year they just add more things to, to what the requirements are. The Government Finance Officers Association um, has a, a, a stuff, the guidelines that they go by every year um, to make an effective uh, presentation. And this is for the 2022 budget, so, so you know. Um, and so it is the highest uh, award form uh, that uh, is for uh, government budgets, and so we're extremely uh, pleased. Uh, thank you, Michael, our, uh, Michael uh, Rota, as well as BJ, Angie, and, and Donna, who recently retired. Um, so we thank them for, for the great work that they do. 
Um, also want to talk about uh, the, uh, we part of the, the uh, THV Channel 11 uh, summer serial drive. We set a goal of $1,000 to collect from our employees, and we, we surpassed that slightly by collecting $1,008.97, and man, if I knew I would have added three more pennies to that. <laughs> uh, but uh, that translated into the food banks being able to purchase 108 uh, boxes of cereal. They're, they're able to purchase them for a dollar a box, and so it works out better when we provide them water. But, uh, water, <laughs> water too obviously. Uh, but, but I want to say that, um, keep, keep going, Greg. I want to say that, you know, this is just a, 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 a the commitment and, and tribute to our employees that really try to give back uh, to the community, um, certainly through the Community Champions program that, that we developed. And I, I want to say, um, I saw a video where we actually came in second place in, in the amount of money that we received, that we, we provided to them. So that was fantastic. Uh, uh, next, I want to say, Trey, are you here? Trey, stand up. Uh, Trey received the Exceptional Service Award from the Arkansas Water and Wastewater Managers Association. He's done some work for the last two years to help, uh, help put on the, the new... Um, the new website that we have, as well as being able to receive money for dues and so forth from, from that uh, agency uh, on, on a, the uh, credit card uh, use, and he's done all of that. Thank you for the great work that you've done with them. He's now off of that, and somebody else is doing it from another utility, but uh, you did a great job there. Thanks, Greg. Um, I want to congratulate Tanya Wallace, as well as Kanita Ridgewell. They recently completed their Certified Public Managers Certification. Um, which is administered by the Arkansas Public Administration Consortium, which is part of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Um, the program develops uh, uh, skills for leaders in public service, fosters collaboration, and encourages innovation through action. It's a two-year program. It requires 300 hours of participation from, from the folks. Um, and it's great for team building, activities that apply uh, learning to the current, uh, public challenges, and they also have to write a project plan and, and, and uh, pass a successful um, uh, comprehensive exam at the end. So it's not just where you sit there and, and they give you something. You, you really have to earn it. And I want to I wanna thank Tanya. She, she, uh, had, uh, she was honored for an outstanding uh, PCM project plan award. So even when you produce those awards, they even look at those and determine which ones uh, have, have uh, honorable mention, and, and Tanya did as well. So congratulations to the two of them. Um, also, uh, thank you. This summer, we participated with the Central Arkansas Library System uh, summer camp, and uh, the kids built their own mini wastewater treatment plant. Now, as a kid, why wouldn't you want to do that? That would just be awesome. Uh, and so we, they learned about public safety, uh, public, uh, protecting the public as well as uh, health and environment, uh, protecting the health and environment. So um, it's awesome. Anytime we can, we can uh, talk to young kids, they at some point become adults, and who knows, they might be working here at some point. That's exactly it. Um, I want to say that, uh, so I have talked to you folks about the LiveWalk program, and that's the Low Income uh, Home uh, Water Assistance Program. 
and really, um, right when COVID hit, we had a lot of uh, a lot of our residents that lost their jobs and and started to fall behind on on being able to pay their utility bill. Um, we, as with NACWA, really uh, we we lobbied the, uh, the we lobbied Congress, the federal government, uh, to put water m monies in for uh, water and wastewater uh, utility low income assistance and. Uh, through the, uh, the America um, Recovery uh, uh, Plan, the ARPA plan, they actually put in 1.1 billion for the entire country, of which Arkansas received 1.3 million. And we have been working with uh, the uh, Central Arkansas Water uh, to get as many folks signed up for this. And I, I just wanna say, the, the, the program is, is put on by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services it does provide funding for past due expenses. Obviously, the, the residents have to qualify low-income homes, uh, but they may, may apply for a one-time payment up to $2,000 that gets paid directly to the agencies, to, to, to us. So a, as of today, there's $190,000 that has been received as part of this program, and almost 700 um, uh, residents have received a benefit from this. So, I just wanted to talk, to say that because I think that's just a great accomplishment, and we're, tr we're truly trying to uh, get as many folks involved with this as we possibly can. And we we are really hoping that Congress, um, with the with the infrastructure bill, funds this. It's in the bill. It's not funded. Our hope is at some point that that it does become permanently funded. I think it will be it'll be great for the entire country because we always have people that that, that have needs, and and the unfortunate part we all. Utility has has capital needs that, that sometimes you know, you know come into conflict with that. So so that's a, that's a great thing. Uh, Chairwoman McBride, that's what I have. I just want to end by saying I am so proud of every employee that comes up and and um, and does uh, does a presentation from Tommy who did the the uh, safety uh, minute um, to to Tanya, uh, Tanya and and Amber and Carrie Beth. They do such a great job. Harold, um, these are young professionals, and I, I see such a bright future uh, for the agency. So that's all I have, but I can go on to what we plan for, for September. All right, um, we will do a PFOS presentation uh, in September to talk to you about, uh, it's one of the emerging contaminants, and, and we, we really think it's important for, for you to get a perspective of, of where we see the science going uh, there. Um, we also are interested in doing uh, an emerging contaminant study, which we will talk about uh, in September, uh, and that will because uh, we would be looking at, at getting funding from the ANRD. We would be looking at a signatory authority as well on that. We also want to do a recommendation of a board for professional services. This is the next phase of the Arkansas Highway 10 relocation. It's a pretty big, uh, pretty big uh, uh, phase two. And it does have quite a bit of uh, sewer work involved with that. So we'll be bringing that to you. And then uh, Mr. Rota will be talking about where we're at with the self-funded health care. This will be the second quarter update. Chairwoman McBride, commissioners, that is what I have. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you.